G'day mate, Forty here. So, I've long had a part of me that just wants a shortcut to intimacy. I go, I've long had a part of me that was like, ah, oh, it, it'd just be so good just to be able to hire a hooker. I've never hired a hooker, but like there's a little part of me that thought, oh, you know, what a great shortcut to intimacy. Or it'd be awesome to be famous and then to have groupies. And so then I could have like intimacy on my own terms. So I don't tend to be terribly flexible in my relationships with other people. And so, you know, I really, really like things on my terms. And then I've, I've long felt an attraction to like woo-woo theories like uh, color therapy uh, because it's so personalized, it's bespoke. Like, I, Do you know what bespoke means? It means personalized. Uh, so I've long had an attraction and interest in alternative therapies uh, alternative medicine uh, because it's like it's individual it makes you feel special and uh, I've long had like a little bit of an inclination towards cults because cults will celebrate you it's like yay 40 we're so glad that you're here you know we love you 40 and you can just like slip into this this warm stream of, of love and affection so I recognize that and, you know, I recognize my, my lifelong desire is to kind of take the easy way out. <laughs> and uh, this, this tendency has not worked out particularly well for me, but it's, it's like my very strong inclination just on the surface is like, what's the easy way out? Like, what's the shortcut to intimacy? But then there are a lot of people, all right, obviously belonging to a cult and pursuing non-evidence-based therapies and uh, living your life where your, your most intense intimate interactions are over live streams. Obviously, that's not the ideal, but uh, what if you're so broken that's the only option you have? So this is from the latest episode of Decoding the Gurus. Uh, always effective and little experience. In, in the I hands of the right person, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Like I've told this story to Chris, but really briefly, like I was in Japan actually when I went to visit a friend of a friend and, and she was into color therapy and there's all these bottles of different colored oils and, and you choose a couple of colors that appeal to you and they represent your future and your present and, you'd like and it. so on. You'd, you'd love this, yeah. <laughs> and the practitioner sits there across from you and like stares into your eyes and holds your hands and touches your arm and shoulder and they, they talk about you for like 30 minutes or so and so i went along to that being the skeptic guy and i loved it you could feel the power of the interpersonal experience and you can see how you know all of these cults all of these quack kind of things they always generate a genuine in inverted commas uh response because we're monkeys and, and that sort of shit works on us so, well, allow me to retort. I, I don't think I disagree with you. I think, though, what I what you're saying, what I'm saying is simply that. So that's uh, Matthew Brown. He's one of the two hosts of this Decoding the Gurus podcast. He's a professor of psychology at the university, the prestigious University of Central Queensland. Uh, his co-host is uh, anthropologist Christopher Cavanaugh. And they have two guests this week, moral psychologist David Bizarro and uh, philosopher Tamler Summers, host of the Very Bad Wizards. So they are talking about the 2012 movie, Paul Thomas Anderson movie, The Master, which is ostensibly about Scientology. At 
Come on. What the active ingredient is in color therapy is clearly not the colors. It's the connection. And I think that the method, the, the process that they're using in this movie is more on the face of it what it says it is. Force. Right. So there's probably a lot of healing that goes on from from alternative therapies like chiropractic and color therapy and, and all these therapies for which there isn't evidence, but there's probably still a lot of healing going on. And also, I bet with a lot of pharmaceuticals, it's, it's not just the placebo, it's the personal care and attention. Like you're going to a doctor to get a prescription and someone says, this will help you. Right, you're getting some personal care and attention. You go to an acupuncturist and they touch you and they they seem to care about you. You go to a chiropractor, they seem to care about you. You go to a color therapist, they seem to care about you. They might touch your arm. And so some of us are sometimes so broken that, that this is like the easiest or most viable form of, of connection that's available to us. So yeah, belonging to a cult, not such a great idea. You know, pursuing not evidence-based medicines, not such a, a great idea. But for many people, it's the easiest and most viable path to human connection. So that's why I think sometimes these cults and these non-evidence-based therapies do some people far more benefit than harm. <laughs> and and maybe your your connection to a, to a live stream or, or to some kind of virtual community, right? This is... This is a parasocial interaction. Uh, obviously, face-to-face -face interactions, generally speaking, uh, you know, have more impact and, and are better for you than, than a parasocial interaction. But what if this parasocial interaction is your best alternative for an interaction right now? Okay? So it's, it's either this or you're alone. All right? So... We don't always get to choose between great and bad or good and bad. Often we, we get to choose between bad and less bad. And so having some kind of human connection, having someone who seems to care about us, like you're special, like you, you have a special gift to, to bring to the world. Like I really think I understand where you're coming from. I think I've got something that's really going to help you. And I just see your life completely transforming and turning around. All right, so going to a an astrologer. I once went to an astrologer, meaning there was one period in my life where I was particularly lonely and bereft in, in May of 1998, and I ended up dropping like $900 on this astrologer. And on the one hand, it, it rationally, it seems like a, a complete waste of money, but I was at a particularly low point in my life, and I was able to buy a friend. Right, I was able to buy individual attention. I was able to buy a, a type of intimacy where I talked to this person about my deepest, darkest problems and, and my most embarrassing needs, which was, oh, I want to rebuild my, my friendship with Dennis Prager. Like, I've just totally shattered my relationship, you know, meaning very distant acquaintanceship that I had with Dennis Prager. But I, I got to confess things that, you know, wouldn't be fun to confess uh, to, to friends. So... So what if the, the astrologer and the, the cult or the, you know, the, the color, color healing therapist or the live streamer is like the best of the alternatives for you? Interesting an interpersonal connection, right? So it is simply yeah. saying, now you tell me some vulnerable shit. No, I'm going to ask you again. I'm going to ask you again. There's no pretense that there is like a, because I think psychics do the same thing, right? They forge this connection 
which is pseudo. It's Hold on. false, falsely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if one chooses to ignore the thousands of years of evidence. But this one, it's it's more laid bare. I don't think this is good therapeutic practice by any means, but I do think that it, I guess I would call it like a ice-breaking exercise on steroids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're yeah. forcing. And, and, and let me add to that, that it's all well and good to say there are, you know, I'm sure there is, it's true, there are better ways to make this kind of connection that don't involve a lot of this spooky shit. But that isn't happening to Freddie Quell, right? right? Like, so this is what he has. This is what's on offer for a lot of these people. It's that or nothing. And so they get that, and that is really important. It's not like the other option that the movie seems to lay out is, tell me what this thing is that looks obviously like a vagina, uh, yeah, like right, exactly. <laughs> that's the no, other exactly. option that yeah, they have yeah, yeah, is yeah. it's that. And the back to the discussion of whether or not Philip Seymour Hoffman was trying to sick his dog, whether he was trying to do this or not. I actually read these interactions as reflecting something different. I don't think that he really walked. So, I think this this is a good point. Like people are often lonely. Like. What type of people are particularly vulnerable to cults? People who've got something, you know, missing in their life. People who are not interacting with other people normally. What type of people are particularly vulnerable to alternative therapies that are not evidence-based? Uh, people who have a very strong need for intimacy and attention that they're not getting met through through normal means. So. I don't think, generally speaking, healthy people are getting into cults. I don't think, generally speaking, healthy people are spending, you know, astronomical sums on sums on non-evidence-based therapies or on astrologers. But for some people, this is the easiest, most effective, only way they know how to connect. Right? There are some people who are just so socially awkward. There are some people who are just so anti-social that no decent person would want them in their life. And they're only the only people who want them around are, are con artists or live streamers or virtual communities and uh, and and cults and, and you know yoga gurus, uh, religious gurus, and a lot of people are that broken, right? Probably, probably between. 10% and 30% of the population is that broken that normal, healthy, high-functioning people have no rational incentive to bring these non-functioning people into their life. And so what do you then do with, with the broken? What do you do with the bereft? What do you do with the antisocial? What do you do with the people that, that normal people have no rational, moral you know, cultural incentive to bring them around because these people are so, are so dangerous. Online virtual communities are going to destroy people's minds. Yeah, they, they are frequently dangerous. On the other hand, they provide a type of community. They, they provide some, they're meeting a need. And so obviously some, some human connections are, you know, much more dangerous than others. But people have to connect. Right? There's no, there's no way around that, and so when when people are highly dysfunctional, 
normal people and healthy communities will not want them around. Apps like Discord have already destroyed people's minds. Well, they're dealing with people who are highly broken. Yeah, make, make the broken people fight each other in Tennessee <laughs> or, or have bum fights and, and film it. So I think we have to look at that fundamental brokenness and think about how do we, how do we help it? And, and for me, the, the best answer of which I'm aware, uh, 12-step programs and often uh, good therapy, but I, I think 12-step programs tend to be more helpful. But people want to connect, man. And if you're a bad person or if you're a broken person, if you're an inept person, if you're just a failure, if you're awkward, if you give people the creeps, if you weird people out, if you're a loner bereft of social skills, if you're not really bringing anything to the table, then why would healthy people want, Is want you around? Is able to have sex in that scene? I think so, right? Yeah. And then the, like, sex scene, right, where he's From trying to... the 2012 movie, <laughs> The Master. The yeah. processing. But that fits. That's kind of what you're saying. That he's bizarre, not right? a... Yeah. Become he's now the, he's now the he's father. The master. Yeah. yeah he's you the don't master. kill. He's the master of that pussy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not good. I agree, Tamla. It wasn't like, oh, he's. Okay, I got to dispel this crude language, but they're under something. Like sometimes people can't reach the ideal of, you know, monogamous uh, marriage. Uh, should they be denied, be denied all forms of, of intimacy? Wow. <laughs> Do you get the sense that he is finally able to have sex in that scene? I think so, right? Well, I, I hadn't tweaked about the impotence, but yeah, I what's well, the yeah. impotence? Where, but, where but, are you but, getting the impotence? Well, well, just like he always is like with the girl at the department store and he kind of falls asleep when they're going out to eat. And then he has these like kind of pre-sex things where he's like, let's fuck to the uh, transcribers who are... Right. But we never actually see him able to take any of those yeah. to yeah, right. completion. To support yeah. that demo, it does slip out during yeah, the... Yeah, but he says put it back in, which means that it can. <laughs> the, the we don't know if it was successfully. We need a close-up just to, to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. But you're right, Tamler, that he has pre-sex, and whether or not he, he's a stud at the end there, it is the first time we see him really do it. Yeah. And it, in some, you know, and he's lumbering at waiting. it, and his, yeah, his <laughs> processing sucks, right? His idea of processing is like a real stripped-out... He's not really doing it right, but he is finally like his own. Yeah, I, I, I also. It's really irrelevant now. <laughs> so irrelevant, but I'm. I gotta mention it anyway. That you know the stuff you were talking about, the techniques that, that they kind of work, right? That they break down, even if it isn't. It's better than the fucking ink blot Rorschach uh, test. I also took that as an indictment of those techniques because. It seemed to me to be saying that, yes, these do work, but like getting people to sit opposite each other and stare at each other and that scene where they're, they're supposed to tell truths to each other. These yeah. are all things, I don't know if Scientologists specifically do this, I think they do, but like they're, they're associated with cult movements, right? They have these techniques that force intimacy and that it works, it really works because like <laughs> Pamela... They've done psychology studies where people have ticked Likert boxes where 
if you force people to reveal secrets, <laughs> intimate secrets, afterwards they feel more, you know, like close, like it, because that's what humans do when they become close to someone, they reveal information. So if you artificially create that, and I felt the movie was saying that these guys are good at doing that. They un intuitively or not, they understand how these manipulative things work and they're using them uh, to draw people in. This could be me yeah. layering my own interpretation on top. Well, no, I agree. Yeah, it's interesting because whether or not you call it manipulative has just simply to do with whether or not you find the ends appropriate, right? Because you're right, there is actually like in social psychologists in a relationship, they use this method to get two people in the lab to get to know each other really fast, right? It's like a whole technique where you divulge information to each other. It's well, and it works. And so the thing is, no, I don't think any of us here would disagree with the claim that cults are effective at giving people these tools to bond with other humans. I think what our judgment is about whether it's fake or not, it has more to do with whether or not we think that the goals of that bonding are manipulated rather than whether or not people have bonded. It's effective. Uh, and also, yeah. I think that there's a way to look at this and say, well, all this is doing is just normal intimacy and it would be much healthier for him to have this intimacy without all the bullshit but clearly that's not in the cards for him he has no opportunity to do that in a way that wouldn't involve these kind of cult-like aspects so i think it's really asking the question of for people who are truly lost and aimless and who feel like their existence is kind of a joke is this something that is actually helpful or beneficial for them in spite of the fact that there's all this metaphysics behind it that is crazy? Like, is it still better than living this atomized life of bouncing from job to job and never being able to actually have sex, even when, you know, it's this hot department store worker? How about Tamler, that scene where he, uh, God tells him, no one else likes you, just me, right? Like, he yeah. tells him, did you read that as like, he wanted to hurt him so that he was kind of saying, I'm the only one that... Yeah, so sometimes nobody else likes you, except the scanner, scanner, scammer, scanner, uh, con artist, uh, leader of a cult, uh, you know, a Christian, uh, you know, sometimes only the Christians will, will take you. And, and so I don't think we think very much about what do we do with the people who are bereft of social skills? What do we do with the people who can't seem to form normal human connections? Like, what do we do with the lonely? Will no one speak up for the lonely? Well, what do we do with the people who are so desperate for, for human connection that they, they go to courts or they go to fringe religions or they go to conspiracy theories or you know they form strong attachments to live streamers or they devote themselves to Discord chats or, or virtual communities as, as their you know, favorite, most intense form, form of intimacy. People go where the love is, right? And, and then some people are just so dysfunctional that that normal, happy, healthy people are not going to have them in their life. And so I, I think that this, 
this podcast and this 2012 movie by Paul Thomas Anderson, The Master kind of touches on that. And so then that puts a responsibility on the con artist or the cult leader or the live streamer to try to have, you know, at worst a, a neutral effect on people, but, but at best a, a positive effect. So Kyle, Kyle is back. Great to see you, Kyle. And he says, a friend of mine calls podcast friendship porn. <laughs> so Kyle says he's been reading Ian M. Banks. So I have no idea who Ian M. Banks is, but he is a Scottish author. And uh, he died in 2013, and he wrote science fiction. Okay, and the Times of London named Ian Banks in their list of the 50 greatest British writers since uh, 1945. Okay. And uh, the chat says the alt-right provides human connection to low empath anti-social people. You'd say the same thing about Antifa. It provides a sense of excitement and human connection to, to people who are otherwise dysfunctional. When you look at mugshots of Antifa, these do not seem to be people who are thriving in the real world. So people need to feel important. People need to feel like they're living from the inside. People you know, need a tribe or, or a community. And uh, these extreme political, social, cultural movements, you know, provide an easy way in for people who are otherwise dysfunctional. So one of the, one of the, the tropes about lesbians is, ah, oh, that they can't get a man. So that, that kind of thinking of like people who can't do the normal thing, like who, who can't get married, who, who can't, can't have kids, who can't form normal human relationships, you know, where do they go, right? Where's the dog park for them, for, for people who, who don't have, have dogs? And that's why I, I try to keep an open mind that, you know, sometimes Scientology probably helps some people. Uh, Jehovah's Witness probably helps some people. Seventh-day Adventism, the religion in which I was raised, definitely helped a lot of people. And these, you know, evidence-free therapies have often helped people because they provide... That, that missing human connection for people who would otherwise be bereft because they can't function. Kyle says, Ian Banks wrote about the AI-powered utopian future. All the smartest people I know have been saying that AI safety is the only thing that really matters. Yeah, I, I hear that, and I've never thought about it. Kyle says, I started out very skeptical and hostile to that perspective, but I have been gradually converging. AI safety. Never thought about AI safety. But because I, I resonate with what it's like to be to be broken, to to be missing some social skills, to wanting like shortcuts to intimacy and and putting you know, putting some people on a pedestal and putting other people, you know, down, like idealizing and devaluing people, right? Is something that I've been particularly prone to. And and such people who are, when I was in that idealization and devaluing stage, th that made me dangerous because I would, you know, move from putting someone on a, a pedestal one minute to, you know, dropping them down the next minute. Uh, I remember what it was like, my first girlfriend, the first one that I had sex with, and, and what a special intimate connection that formed. And, and when I was in it, like part of me could see this, this may well be the only woman I'll have sex with for the rest of my life. And then... 
when when I broke up with her and I started having sex with a lot of other women, it in some ways it hardened me. It made me more cynical. On the other hand, I did learn some social skills. Like I did overcome my my shyness and my my awkwardness. And so six years later, when I got back together again with my first girlfriend, she asked me, "Well, how many women have you been with since me?" And I said, "Ten." Um, and and how many men have you been with since me? And she said one. And then she said, well, those other women, they've taught you well. You used to be very awkward. So not ideal to be promiscuous. Like society would fall apart if it had had, you know, if everybody had my level of sexual promiscuity. Uh, but the people that I was hooking up with were equally as broken as me. Most of my girlfriends had fathers who were sex addicts. And so we could be in a party, you know, filled with 100 people, but we'd find each other because our, our traumas would kind of match and we'd scratch each other's itches. Regarding dysfunctional people having no place in normal, healthy society, Kyle says, it strikes me that extremely dysfunctional people and abusers often have tons of people orbiting them. Well, not the dysfunctional people I'm thinking of. Like the dysfunctional people I'm thinking of, the only people who are orbiting them are those who feel some kind of moral or familial obligation to, to orbit them. So maybe just through my 12-step programs or through my own brokenness, I know a lot of you know, dysfunctional antisocial people. And the only people really around them are people who are, who are obliged to by ties of morality, uh, ethnic ties, like religio, moral ties, or, or familial ties. I think most people find themselves having no social place because they avoid they are avoidant rather than hurtful. Well, about 5% of the population are psychopaths. That's what I've read. So somewhere in that number, that number seems about right to me. So certainly there is a, a significant portion of the population that no sane person would, would have in their life. Like good people make you feel good. Bad people make you feel bad. So someone who's consistently making you feel bad, you should not have them in your life or to any, any degree of closeness. So you can dial back the intimacy, the intensity, uh, whether you see them in person or just over the phone, how often you, you see them. So there are ways of dialing people up and dialing people back. So it's not always necessarily in our best interest to you know, completely cut people off, except when it comes to psychopaths. Like you meet a psychopath and, yeah, you want to... You want to be psychopath-free, to, to use, use the title of a, the best book that I've read on the topic. Right? You really want to be psychopath-free. That's a great book by uh, Jackson McKenzie. And so, you know, psychopaths are, are dangerous. And, and no sane person would, would want to have them in their life. When is loneliness preferable? Well, loneliness is preferable to getting raped, uh, to having you know, vast sums of your money stolen from you. Uh, loneliness is preferable to doing bad things to other people. So I just watched the end of Ozark. So I was up until, against, against my wishes, against my better judgment, I confess, I was up till 12.30 a.m. this morning watching the end of Ozark. It was such an incredibly compelling show. They... they they put, I read this, they put more drama into, 
you know, 20 minutes of an Ozark show than, than most shows have in several episodes. So I was up to the end of, of Ozark. And there's this one woman who wants to get checked into a, a mental health facility, an insane asylum. And they won't check her in because they don't have a bed for her. And so finally she goes in and says, if you don't check me in, I'm going to go out there and murder somebody. And so then they're, they're forced to, to check her in. So if you're going to hurt somebody, if the alternative is between being lonely and needlessly, gratuitously hurting someone or needlessly, gratuitously hurting yourself, then it's better to be lonely. All right. So how do you spot toxic people? Right. So I don't know, 5%, 5%, maybe, maybe the population are toxic. All right. If people who gaslight you, who, who deny their own manipulative behavior, who, who ignore the evidence when you present it to them, who, who are dismissive and critical if you disprove their fabrications, who never address their inappropriate behavior and said it's your fault for being overly sensitive, right? The problem isn't the abuse, it's your reaction to the abuse. And have I been a toxic person? Yes. I have been a toxic person in... In my desperate attention seeking, I have disrupted the the uh, continuity and the happiness of groups with my you know, inappropriate language, inappropriate speech, inappropriate behavior. Uh, I have been very assertive and aggressive uh, pursuing women in the past. Uh, so I've made some women cry. That's what, what I heard secondhand. So that was toxic. Uh, I've had a recklessness in things that I've done on online in blogging where I wasn't as diligent as I should have been with being fair and accurate. I, I, I've invaded unnecessarily people's privacy in things I, I've said or written online. And so what I want to do is try to do more good than harm, but often I've done more harm than good online. And so that's been toxic. Uh, how else have I been toxic? How has my selfishness hurt other people? Like, that's like the most sobering question. I got it from Fred Luskin, and it kind of always brings me back to, to reality. And so I've been unable to hold together a crew on this channel. Like, I used to have Casey on the show regularly. I used to have Dennis Dale on the show regularly. I used to have, you know, Kevin Michael Grace and Brundle and Rustin and Vivian and, you know, all sorts of people are on the show regularly and I was unable to hold that crew together. Now, I'm not saying that's 100% on me. I'm saying it's not 0% on me. It's not 10% on me. It's not 20% on me. It's somewhere between, I don't know, 30% and 60% on me, right? I played a significant role that I've been unable to schlep along the regulars onto my show as we move into 2022. That Many of the people who used to be regular on the show in 2015, 2016, 2017, maybe 2018, they're just no longer here. And a lot of that is because of me. There's something about me and, and, and my selfishness, and my self-aggrandizement and, and some character flaws with me, uh, say a lack of honesty or an emotional coldness. It's 56%. It's 56% on me. I played a role in being unable to sustain those wonderful group discussions uh, that, that we used to have on this channel. Right? 
that as something to do with flaws in my character. Okay, toxic people are unable to empathize. So a lot of, I think a lot of those people I mentioned have felt burned or, or betrayed by me. Now, betrayal is often the hyperbolic word that we use to other people not having the same priorities that we expected. Uh, toxic people are the ultimate hypocrites, do as I say, not as I do. So they demand extreme levels of fidelity and respect and adoration from you, but they give none of this back. Right? They will cheat, they will lie, they will criticize, they will manipulate, but, but you have to always you know, give them fidelity, respect, and adoration. Uh, toxic people are filled with pathological lying and excuses. They focus on your mistakes, ignore their own mistakes. You have to find yourself explaining basic elements of, of human decency and respect to an adult man or woman, right? Someone like that is, is a psychopath. Uh, they have a, this crippling thirst for attention, so they just drain the energy from you and consume your entire life. They accuse you of feeling emotions that they're intentionally provoking, such as, you know, they're provoking your jealousy. If you find yourself playing detective about someone and, and it hasn't happened in previous relationships, I, I've only had one girlfriend who had contempt for me. And so that wasn't about me. She just had so much contempt for me. When I say, oh, I've got, you know, sore feet, I need to go to my physical therapist. She said, you're such a wimp. You want me to airlift you out. So if you find yourself playing detective because you don't know what's really going on in, in, with, you, with your partner in this relationship and you've never done that before, right? You're probably dealing with a toxic person. You're the only one who sees their true club colors. Like no matter what they do, they always seem to have a fan club cheering for them, right? So the psychopath uses people for, for money, resources, and attention. But the fan club doesn't notice because, uh, yeah, so tell you what, I will, how can I bring Kyle on? Yeah, so Kyle, do you know my Skype? I can, I can bring you on via Skype. So, so um, here, I'll play, I'll DM you, I'll DM you, Kyle, and, uh, Bring you on via Skype. Meanwhile, I'll play this. Recognize you, you has merit because with my reading of touching, I, I keep feeling like I'm a Philistine. Is that Freddie actually felt that he had connections with the other people in the group, and then Dodd cruelly told him, "None of that's real. I'm the only person that likes you. I'm the only reason you're there." And that felt to me like manipulative and cruel, even if it was true, because it felt like Freddie did feel that he was accepted by the other people. So yeah. I just check it. Am I a piece of I, I think that, like, <laughs> it, I think it's true, but I think what he was saying isn't wrong. Those people were ready to throw him under the bus at the first opportunity. And never mind like the rest of the world that he's always running away from. So I think it's true, but I also think it was maybe a manipulative thing to say at but that moment. And, yeah, and I, I, no, I think he was just upset. You know what I mean? Like, Chris, yeah. you're so cynical. You always attribute the worst <laughs> motives. I think Lancaster Dobb was just upset and was telling him how it was. That he's and Freddie really... had just told him that his son had said he was full shit. Yeah. Right? yeah. I think one of the uncomfortable 
truths being spoken here is that our relationships, even at their most sincere, are often manipulative, right? So we often, even with people whom we love, do things in order to get our way and in order to at least satisfy our needs. I read it always as, and I think this is where you know Chris and I coming into it with a little bit of a different take, I always read it as, of course, that's manipulative, but he's manipulating him because he really wants his affection. Yeah. Like he's just actually cares about the guy. That's how parents are sometimes. I certainly have seen people in more toxic relationships who love each other. Yeah. Dave does that to me. He manipulates me, but not. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Yeah. It's hard to manipulate a psychopath. <laughs> I, I get my up early in the morning. I say, you know, yeah. we got to record at 4 a.m. Uh, tell me your log. What did you do today? <laughs> yeah, sleep deprivation, cutting me off from all other social connections. It's, it's all happening. Yeah. We're letting you talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the thing is, Tamla, that's a good one. <laughs> Usually I just hold up a little piece of paper on Zoom that says, do you want to fuck? This is going deep. This is going deep. <laughs> all right. Well, I think to draw a line under, this has all been very interesting. This has all been fascinating, all of these interpretations. And... See? You got so much more than you thought you would. I did. I got a lot from this. I recognize all of it. I still didn't enjoy watching the movie. I still, if I had the opportunity to see another movie like this. Okay, let me try to uh, get my act together and bring on Kyle via Skype. So I was losing my Skype password there. Oh man. Where is, oh, here we go. I think we got Skype. Come on, mate. Okay, here we go. Yep. And we'll get some uh, Kyle Rowland on the show. If I could just pull it together. Come on, man. Okay, here we go. Where's the speaker? Hey, how's it going? Kyle, are you there? Kyle, calling Kyle. Kyle. What the heck, man? I can't hear Kyle. <sighs> so we'll try to get it together. Um, yeah, I, you can hear me, but I can't hear you. So what's going on there? It's on, it's on your end. Mike shows green. I got my speaker on, so let me stop the call and try it again. Here we go. Speaker on. Okay, Kyle, how's it going?
Oh man. Yeah, it's I, I'm pretty sure it's on your end, Kyle. Because my sound's working, but I'm not getting anything from you. You're the only person who sees their true colors. No matter what they do, they always seem to have a fan club cheering for them. Check your input and output settings. Okay, Kyle. Okay, uh, another s s test. Uh, if you're with a psychopath, you fear any fight could be your last. Normal people argue to resolve issues. Psychopaths make it clear that negative conversations will jeopardize their relationship, especially ones regarding their behavior. Any of your attempts to improve communication will result in the silent treatment. And uh, then they're slowly and steadily eroding your boundaries. Okay, I'm not able to... No, Skype is not muted on my end. You could hear the ringing. The mic is activated and jiggles. Okay, I'll come back with a new show in uh, five minutes using OBS. Okay, bye-bye.